0: Welcome back to the Agnes London podcast. This week's guest is an author, an eco-campaigner and founder of Plastic Patrol, Lizzie Carr. We talk about ocean plastics, cleanups and lobbying for change at government and business level. We recorded this episode at the end of February so just to let you know Plastic Patrol is currently on hold due to the coronavirus situation but they're keeping a close eye on guidelines and will be back on patrol as soon as restrictions are lifted and it's considered safe to do so. I still wanted to share this episode with you as I think the work that Lizzie and Plastic Patrol does is incredible. I highly recommend going along to one of their events when possible and in the meantime enjoy this episode. Welcome to the podcast, Lizzie. Thank you so much for agreeing to be on. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. So uh, last summer, I came along to one of your Plastic Patrol events in Paddington Canal and really, really enjoyed it. I'd heard about Plastic Patrol before, but that was like my first time kind of coming along and interacting. Was last year the first year that you've been doing the paddleboarding sessions? Last year was our third year, actually. actually. Our
1: third and our biggest yet. Yeah. Um so we've had about
0: fifteen thousand people that have come out all over the world now on cleanups over mm-hmm. the last three years. That's um, incredible. Yeah. So three years. You started in two thousand and sixteen. Yeah. Was that when plastic patrol itself started?
1: Um it started as a hashtag and very unofficial um cleanups that I was running on my own mm-hmm. um and just inviting people to join me on social media with a few boards and a van that I'd borrowed but um it wasn't the more formal organisation it is now.
0: Yeah. So let's go back and talk a bit about before how you got to where you are now. Um so have you always loved paddleboarding? Have you always been into like outdoor activities?
1: I've always loved being outdoors. My mum was a guide leader when I was younger Mm -hmm. and I was too young to be an official girl guide but I did get dragged along. I say dragged, I did enjoy it. I did get (laughs) taken along to um, lots of different girl guiding activities and I think that's probably where my love of outdoors really started. Um, and i've always been quite sporty quite athletic mm. um but paddleboarding no i didn't paddleboard i don't think if i knew i don't even think i knew what paddleboarding was until about 5 years ago when mm. i first took it up so that was yeah. quite a new thing to me like i wasn't necessarily brought up by the water um so paddleboarding is definitely quite a new thing for me
0: because yeah, paddleboarding um for me seems like a fairly new sport as well I don't think I'd heard about it until um you know maybe four or five years ago that it was a thing and I don't think I think it was like three years ago that I tried it for the first time as well
1: how did you find it
0: I really enjoyed it I'm I'm a real wimp but I did, <laughs> but I like like I really enjoy canoeing and kayaking because it's like it can be quite chilled um and I didn't think when I first did paddleboarding I didn't think I'd stand up and then I was like oh actually this is quite easy um yeah I really enjoyed it and I could see that if I had like access to it I'd probably do it a lot more yeah than I do if I had my own board amazing so where did the plastic element come into that
1: um, so, I'd started paddleboarding after an illness. I was diagnosed with cancer in 2013. Um, so, it was really just a low impact way for me to get fit and strong after that. Mm-hmm. And it was only because I'd started paddleboarding and only because I was on the water that I could see all of this plastic everywhere. And when you're on the water, it's everything's magnified. You see it really, you're you're in it, you're up close to it, and you can't then unsee it, unfortunately. Mm. And some of the sights I would see, you know, with animals and wildlife on the water were just horrifying. And this is all around in and around London, because I was paddleboarding um, up and down Regent's Canal mostly. And it was just so upsetting, because I was using the water as a place to restore my health and to get better, and it was just constantly just being marred by these horrible experiences, not just for me, like the inconvenience of having all this stuff around me and you no know, bags getting caught on my fin, but just everything you're witnessing and how it was making me feel. And it wasn't it wasn't a pleasant experience and I wanted to do something about it.
0: Mm yeah so you talking about wildlife and regents canal when we came along to the paddle session with you so i have a massive bird phobia and you were telling us how there was this really vicious swan yes. and the whole way the like first half i was like is that the swan is that the swan <laughs> and it wasn't till we turned around that i was like right i can relax because we haven't gone past it oh, you poor thing. <laughs> <laughs> so I was like, if we do go past it, I'm going to have to like sneak past behind someone else. <laughs> and
1: I have to tell you that it's a it's a it's a goose.
0: I'm um, oh, sorry, a goose. But even so, yeah,
1: and um, they it, it is so aggressive. There's a particular one on the Regent's Canal. Anyone that uses that part of the canal mm. knows it. It didn't come out that day, did it? it was I don't there. think
0: we got that far down.
1: and um, it's awful. Like it literally would be block me going yeah. past, and it's it's terrifying. <laughs> And um,
0: so yeah you're lucky yeah I'm glad we didn't get to it <laughs> but yeah I can understand how I mean like being by water I find really therapeutic anyway and there is something even like beaches and lakes there's something really quite gorgeous about it isn't it and it's um, sometimes you can be out and about and it's not till you really start to look or till you are kind of aware of like plastic pollution that you really notice how um, much is dumped and how much ends up in our waterways
1: yeah definitely I mean for me being on the water and paddling has always been a calming or meant to be a calming experience very peaceful very relaxing it's almost like meditation yeah because you're just focused on what you're doing and the only sound around you is the song of the paddle really it's just hearing it dipping and out of the water and maybe some of the wildlife around you but then when you add all the rubbish that you're finding it changes everything it changes the whole experience and it becomes very different and I think for me it's always been like the campaign that I've done has always been about starting from the source of the problem mm-hmm. so the canals and the rivers before it ends up in the oceans that's where I felt that where I felt that when I first started plastic patrol people just weren't talking about what was happening inland where it was all starting yeah there was a bit of noise around ocean plastics and beach cleans, but no one was going out in their canals and rivers and no one was highlighting this problem where it started and where effectively we can tackle it before it reaches the oceans where about 95 to 99% sinks and then it's completely irretrievable.
0: Mm. Yeah, and I guess even we need to tackle it before it even gets as far as the rivers and the canals and stuff, don't I we? Do.
1: I mean, that's the dream, isn't it? Like yeah. Going to the actual source, industry, government. Mm. Um, and it's definitely a journey. And I feel that there's been an awakening, particularly in the UK over the last couple of years, but there's still a long way to go.
0: Yeah. Do you find that since you've started doing this, people are a lot more um, on board and want to come out and pick up litter with you?
1: Totally. When I first started, people would heckle me and like asking if I was on um, community service Mm -hmm. because I was going out litter picking. Um, whereas now people are like thanking you as you're doing it because they totally get it they really appreciate that you're in their neighborhood on their canal making where they live more desirable and um, asking how they can get involved when they see you going past so there's been a real shift over the last three to four years of people's perception of what we're doing
0: yeah definitely um yeah I guess it used to be seen as much more of a dirty thing but now we're so much more aware of the the issue of pollution aren't we
1: Definitely. I
0: think a few
1: years ago, litter picking itself was still seen as something that you did if you were naughty. Yeah. Uh, That would be my punishment when I was at school. Yeah. Um, For misbehaving, I'd be forced to go and litter pick, whereas I feel like now it's something you do as a hobby, yeah. So it's really
0: shifted. Yeah, people go on their holidays and post about their beach cleans. Yeah, exactly good. <laughs> it's, it's become much more glamorous, hasn't it? So through that you have the app and you encourage obviously it started as a hashtag and then turned into the app and you encourage other people to pick up litter and share it. And am I right in thinking you're working with a university to do research as to the the items that you find?
1: Yeah, so the app effectively tracks the exact location of litter when it's found by photographing it and then you manually add in the type the amount and the brand of litter that you found and it's not just plastic we are sort of material agnostics it's just that's where it kind of the name kind of started with plastics um and we work at the University of Nottingham and the University of Glasgow and their mm-hmm. data analysts review all of the information that we get the information that we gather through crowdsourcing and analyze all of that and then we package it up into what we call a litter impact report Mm. and then that is shared with industry and government and we reveal our recommendations based on the insight that we've gathered over a course of period of time.
0: So when is that litter impact report like? have you already shared one
1: i'm glad you asked (laughs) it came out last week actually did it
0: oh i had a feeling it was i don't know why i just had a feeling that it was coming out soon
1: yeah so that was the 29 2019 one that came out um and you can download that on the plastic patrol website to have a look and it lists there like the kind of the key locations the key brands Um, the key materials that we've found you know it's not just plastic we're finding a a lot of cans as well almost Mm. as many cans as plastic bottles which is really interesting yeah it's just that they're much more highly recyclable than plastic um so yeah then we go and sort of meet with with the brands that are in there and discuss sort of the solutions that we would like to implement and then we lobby for change at government level and um basically
0: as we've said try and stop the problem where it really needs to be stopped. Mm. So what is your what is your kind of personal aspirations for this impact report? Like what do you hope comes out of it?
1: I'd like to see single-use plastic, particularly plastic, but single-use materials generally just completely eliminated from nature. If we're moving to a circular economy, then that has to encompass litter that then invades nature and how that is retrieved and put back into the economy in some way Mm. Um, and because the general public are going out and tracking litter using the app they're effectively policing that system yeah and so going to brands and industry and saying look you're committing to be 100% circular but you're completely ignoring litter that's ending up in nature and we're tracking that like people around the world are governing this And we're seeing that this is still a problem. Your circular system isn't really circular and it's not working. Yeah. And here are some of the sort of the ideas that we have about how you can tackle it and also help us, you know, sponsor some cleanups, help us continue the work that we're doing to make sure this does get picked up and out of nature before it's too late.
0: Yeah. So do you see this kind of cycle of research, crowdsourcing, impact reports going on for as long as it needs to? Yeah, I I think,
1: I don't think the problem's ever going to go away. Nice. I think it's going to evolve. Yeah. I think it will change as the problem changes and as we start to implement new solutions. But there is not a silver bullet approach. There's not one way that's going to fix this. So I think as long as we can be responsive, and a really good example is, you know, we started as Plastic Patrol and it was very much, you know, singling out plastic as a material, single-use plastic as a mm. material. And now, you know, plastic patrol is so limiting as a name because we do so much more than that. We're looking at all materials, we're talking to all different brands across the spectrum, and single-use litter more generally. Yeah. And um, so, I think we're seeing year on year improvements in, year, in the reduction of litter. And um, but I don't think that's because litter is actually reducing. I think it's because more and more people are going out and actively involved in cleanups and removing it. So it's really important that that stuff is logged and captured because, to the untrained eye. It would look like we're yeah. seeing a reduction, but actually if all of that data was centralised and everyone was sharing that information, we'd probably see that it would be going up. You know, plastic production is set to increase significantly over the next 20 years. Mm. So we know that it's increasing, but yeah. it's not necessarily matching up with the stats at the moment.
0: No, we're so reliant on it as consumers and as societies, aren't we? um reliant on plastic in our everyday lives.
1: Totally. On the go litter is the biggest culprit that we find. So people are just kind of, you know, on the move. People are out and about, people want convenience, people want speed. Mm. And um you buy stuff on the go. And often the litter we find, I must say, is it is a result of good intention. So a bin will be full and overflowing. So somebody yeah. will put their rubbish in a bag next to it. And then if that isn't collected that day by say the local council the foxes come at night, rip the bag open, you know, Storm Dennis happens and that gets blown about everywhere, yeah. ends up in the waterways and off it goes out to the sea. So,
0: Yeah, exactly. And do you think having that outdoor element um, to your events, you know, the um, paddle boarding, the, the yoga is outdoors as well, isn't it? And the parkour, do you think that gives people um, more of an appreciation for the their like surroundings as well? So it kind of helps emphasise that message.
1: My journey started with I took up paddleboarding to help my well-being. Mm-hmm. It, was about, it was very much about me. yeah. And it was only because I did that that I was then connecting myself with plastic and the problem with plastic. So by connecting other activities and adventure and sort of wellness with plastic and the environmental issues, I think it helps people... Feel better about themselves, and when they feel better about themselves, they can start thinking about the world around them and what's going on there and how they can contribute positively to that. Mm. But it all starts with you and how you feel about yourself. So, by combining the two, where people are able to meet people, talk to people like it's all community based, what we do, and it gives them a bit of confidence. You know, when you first stand up on a paddleboard, especially if you don't think you're going to be able to, and you do. The sense of um, like confidence that gives you is yeah. huge for a yeah. lot of people. And um, so, all those things um, are part of what we do. Like the environmental aspect, I think is just one element. There's a mm-hmm. huge sort of wellbeing and mental health play as well. Mm,
0: definitely, yeah. I mean, um, like when we—I know I keep mentioning when I came along to your one, but when we came along, like um, I came along with my boyfriend but he'd be off at the front somewhere and you know I'd be chatting to ladies at the back or things like that like you know that everyone there has got is there for a similar reason and you kind of forget that you're picking up rubbish because you're out you're having fun um, you know people walking past on the towpath like joking around with you so yeah there's definitely that really nice um community element to it and I think what you say as well that you have to start with yourself and you have to look after your mental health and this is something I strongly believe as well that in order to tackle any kind of climate change issues or environmental issues we have to be the kind of strongest people we can be to then help our wider community and um, you know if we're more mindful conscious people we're more aware of the issues around us
1: yeah I really completely completely agree with that
0: have you had to become an expert in plastic and single-use plastic?
1: I would never call myself an expert in anything. Mm. I'm just a campaigner that cares about the issue. But I would say that I've definitely had like a fast-track course in all things plastic pollution. And I think because I care about it, because I'm interested in it, I do read up a lot. I do keep up to date with what's happening. I am very aware. And because we're talking to industry and government, we have to know... And understand like the difficulties and the challenges at the level that they sit at mm. and how that then impacts the work that we do. So just by the very nature of plastic patrol and how it runs, I do have to be quite
0: aware of what's happening and, and what it all means. Mm. Yeah. That's what I was thinking that you'd suddenly have to to get on board. Because is your before you um got sick and you started paddleboarding, is your background in any kind of like scientific environmental
1: absolutely nothing
0: <laughs> scientific or environmental. I was an English literature graduate,
1: and I worked in marketing, so no real transferable skills to the tech aspect and the science aspect of what we do, mm. but. I mean I probably would have really enjoyed a science degree looking back now. But I was just I was I did literature, I loved reading. Yeah. Um but yeah, it probably would come in helpful at this point.
0: <laughs> I guess the marketing skills probably come in helpful with getting people on board to help yeah. you with the crowdsourcing.
1: I think so. I think that's helped like create a really strong brand um and a good identity for plastic patrol, which is, you know, that's still important. Um, but there's lots of aspects that I've just been making up as I go along and Mm. learning as I go along and you know praying that it that it works out and you know touch wood so far so good
0: yeah that's good so you partner with um, businesses to help you with plastic patrol are you particularly passionate about partnering with businesses that already have a sustainable message or a particular focus on changing their packaging or do you actually want to go and target those ones that haven't that you could change their mind and they haven't thought about it yet
1: any both to be really honest yeah I think Brands that um, want to align with Plastic Patrol and talk about the great work they're doing have to really be doing great work and you know we want to see a roadmap of what that journey looks like and understand like what their, not just their aspirations but what their commitments are and how they're going to get there but then on the other side of that we really want to talk to and engage and consult with brands that may be are a little bit lost on that journey mm. or need some help getting there i think the approach that we take even though i would say that we are an activist movement i've always felt that collaboration is vital to to the actual to actually tackling this problem and it means that government industry and individuals all have to understand the challenges that everyone else has yeah. in tackling it and I think it's it can be really difficult for industry in on some levels. The same way it can be tricky for government because there's so much like red tape around it, and there's so many um like bigger challenges that maybe you don't think about as an individual, mm. and it can be really really frustrating. But from my point of view, it's it's about communicating how the individual feels and you know their perception of what brand is doing, and then the brand understanding maybe why what they're doing isn't enough or maybe why it's not clear enough that that's the right way of doing something and just kind of helping them unpick what that what that journey looks like.
0: Mm. Do you find that most um, brands that you have approached have been quite receptive of your research um, uh, more recently
1: yes but not always. Mm. I think um, some brands that you know six months a year ago even that were in that lost space were terrified of people like me they wouldn't want me near them because they as far as they were concerned I was there to call them out and attack them and like bring them down publicly um and of course to be honest if I really don't think a brand is doing enough or I think there's greenwashing I will always call it out mm. but um I do feel like now they understand like you can't hide from this anymore you have to you have to at least be seen to be engaging with people like me and Plastic Patrol and what we're doing, especially because we've got all this evidence that we've stacked up over the last three years that you cannot deny, you cannot argue. That's why the data is so important because it's that that makes the change. Litter picking, someone said, and I think it's quite true, like litter picking alone is like going to the site of an earthquake with a dustpan and brush. Mm. And you know, you're tackling the problem, but it's it's just so small, it's quite, kind of insignificant when you look at the scale of it. Whereas if you're going and you're you're identifying brands, types, amount of rubbish that you're finding, you can draw out trends and patterns and really get, you know, into the depths of the detail and, and where accountability really does lie, whether that's legislative change, whether that's um just a manufacturer that's made a commitment that clearly isn't transcending through the supply chain because we're still finding their rubbish it doesn't really matter but I guess the point is that we have to have the data and we have to understand the problem in order to fix it and mm. then brands can't brands can't hide from that they can't yeah, escape they,
0: it they can't deny it if no. you have the the hard data there's that um, analogy isn't there of if your house is flooding like you turn off the tap you don't um mop it up Yeah, exactly. So um, with that kind of in mind, like, where would you, in an ideal world, like to see the future of Plastic Patrol going? Um, There's
1: lots of things in development at the moment. And I suppose they're kind of their long-term plans and it's a long-term vision and it's all around tech within the app and creating traceable, transparent, um, circular systems kind of a more elaborate version of what we've already talked about um but that stuff takes time it's not something we can do overnight and it needs buy-in yeah at industry level as well as you know people on the ground like the the real people that are going out there litter picking and collecting all this information so we can go back and have those conversations um so yeah ultimately it's about creating a, a tool that forces transparency through public governance Mm.
0: yeah Mm, interesting (laughs) so when can we expect some more um plastic patrol events this year then
1: lots happening Um, so we've got our first um big cleanup day on the 9th of may Mm -hmm. um which is plastic patrol global cleanup day and we've got lots of clubs paddle boarding clubs all around the uk all across europe in america all signed up so they run them as our official partners um so you can go on the website and have a look through the list and find a location near you to sign up to um and then there's other activities that people can get involved in like you mentioned yoga um, parkour and um, we've just partnered with be military fit so there's like hit workouts that you can do in parks oh amazing um all completely free um and your payment your nature tax is to litter pick and log it in the app
0: (laughs) so another thing i wanted to talk to you about as well was um becoming a global movement because i know you had cleanups in i want to say boston last new york new york um has that kind of come about intentionally did they approach you um and is the aim to kind of get them all over the world?
1: Yeah, it's definitely intentional. So the big focus for this year and next year is Europe and um, North America. We've already got a foothold in various um, various sort of cities across Europe and some in North America, like New York, as you mentioned. Mm. Um, but we really want that to grow and grow and increase our network of reps just because... There's such a demand to come on the cleanups and we can't always facilitate that because I can't be everywhere and reps can't run them every day. So the more uh, more choices there are and the more people we um, have involved in running them, the more opportunity there is for people to join, but also the more data it gives us and the more information we have to then analyse.
0: Yeah, exactly. Getting some real therapeutic rain noise and that's so loud, as well. isn't it? We'll go
1: out in that <laughs> yeah, in a minute. I know it's gross.
0: Uh, that's England for you. Paddleboard through the streets of yeah. London. <laughs> um, so do you just enjoy just going out for a paddleboard anymore?
1: I do, but you can't you can't unsee what is there ever. Yeah. There's some nice stretches of um, of river where I live where it's pristine. Mm-hmm. You've which been is, out and
0: litter picks and up. Yeah,
1: I've done it. I've done my job, um, which is really nice because I'm not then sort of like looking around trying to find stuff all the time. But it's like, it's, it's like so you're always on. You're always yeah. strong to it. And I do find, to be honest, I don't get out to paddle as much for fun anymore because there's so much work going on in the background with Plastic Patrol that if I have a choice to go and have a paddle for a couple of hours or get my emails done, I'll probably just get my emails done. Mm. And I'd like to change that. I'd like to spend more time on the water because it's what I love, it's where it all started. But yeah, yeah, that's just going to take
0: time to restore that balance a bit, I think. Yeah. So um, you've possibly answered my next question in that bit, but paddleboarding started as your way to get your health back and something that's really good for your mental health as well. And obviously being a kind of founder of this movement, you have a lot of, I'm sure you have a lot going on and a lot of responsibility. So where do you get that like, like where do you get that time to look after yourself from Have you replaced paddleboarding with something else that works?
1: No. Um, I think <laughs> I still I don't really have that balance, and mm. I think it's really hard because what I do is my life, I don't see it as work yeah so it blurs into my every day um I have a bit of a rule now that I don't fire up my laptop on Sundays anymore but even then you're just checking on your phone for things because i there's always something to do but I think you just have to be quite disciplined with yourself and I'm definitely becoming more disciplined the more um the more that I feel that I'm edging towards getting burnt out because I'm in this for the long haul yeah there's no point just going 100 miles an hour which I have been for the last four years like it mm. needs to be more measured and I thought um Pass Patrol took on its first employee um last year and that was a massive game changer for me because it just freed up my brain space and time and it wasn't me doing you know running the cleanups doing the admin organizing everything it's now divided across two people we probably need 10 more but yeah um, so I feel that we're at a time now where I can start thinking about just carving out a little bit of time for me because that's also the time that I find I'm able to be most creative when I'm not embroiled in the day-to-day of everything and I can really think about what we're doing and where it's going and what's
0: next mm-hmm. yeah I thought you had a team of people <laughs> you give us the impression that you have a team of people <laughs>
1: I do in the sense like we have a board and there's an employee yeah. and obviously like let's not forget all of the amazing reps that work
0: mm-hmm. with Plastic
1: Patrol like that's the team and I think we get a lot of incredible volunteers that sort of want to support what we're doing not just as reps but you know just giving up their time in a specialism that they might have um and I think it's really important to try and keep what we're running as a lean operation and not just having lots of employees because ultimately any funding that we are getting we want to put straight back into actually operating the cleanups and the data and everything that we're doing to actually tackle the problem
0: yeah yeah, definitely. That makes complete sense. So, where did the idea for the app come from? Did, was that your kind of um, your idea, or did someone approach you with the tech know how to set up the app?
1: So, when I um, started paddleboarding after I'd quit my job, I paddleboarded the uh, length of England, 400 miles from mm-hmm. Godalming in Surrey to Kendal in the Lake District. And I photographed every bit of plastic that I saw on that journey. Um, and I logged it in this like, interactive map. And then when I finished that journey and surprisingly, lots of people got in touch with me and sort of asked how they could get involved, how they could support it. That was where like Plastic Patrol sort of like formally began as something. So was like, right, I'll take people out. But then I was also put in touch with a friend of a friend who was an app developer. Mm-hmm. And we used the ma- the basis of the map that I created and embedded it into an app. Then became the Plastic Patrol app, which everybody uses now. Because it was like, well, if people can't come on a clean up with me, and they can't be involved with Plastic Patrol, um, you know, even just in England, because they're yeah. in Canada, then at least they can go out and crowdsource information and be part of it in a yeah. in a more kind of mm-hmm. arbitrary way.
0: Yeah. And you can't be everywhere picking up. Every bit of plastic. I cannot, (laughs) as much as I'd like to be. Because that would be exhausting. Yeah, Yeah, definitely. (laughs) So you paddleboarded the length of the UK and you also paddleboarded the Hudson, is that right? Yeah. To raise awareness. What was that like?
1: The Hudson was absolutely... Horrific,
0: Really? Awful.
1: Everyone thinks... So I did the English Channel in um, 2017. Mm-hmm. And everyone always asks, you know, what's the English Channel like? That must have been terrifying. Like, yeah, it was horrible. But <laughs> the Hudson was worse, which is surprising because it's, it's a river. Yeah. So you'd think, you know, it's just a river. What's the problem? What oh. was the
0: worst part about it? Like the other uh, traffic or the... I mean, everything. There was a
1: hurricane that was coming in at the time I was paddling. And there was a storm storm gordon was leaving and hurricane florence was coming in so the weather system through the whole of like the river was just absolutely bonkers and you just you the weather would say something um when i checked it and then it'd be completely different when you're out in the water and it was mostly thunderstorms and like rule number one of paddle boarding is don't go out in a thunderstorm Mm -hmm. so it was really tricky because i'd sort of predict how my day would go based on the weather forecast give myself enough time because it is potentially changeable and none none of it none of it worked for me so it's just trying to escape as quickly as possible in places that I couldn't escape from because there were like train tracks running parallel with the river for miles I couldn't get off the water Mm. or it was just you know shrubbery that was thick and dense and then the other challenge is just the huge cargo ships going down that river, it's a really deep river, and it's yeah. pretty wide. I think it's like a mile and a half wide at its biggest point. So, you're getting similar size traffic that you would see on the channel in the Hudson, except it is much narrower, and you're often going in the same direction as it. So, it's creeping up behind you. And if you're in a shipping lane, which is where the water is flowing fastest, so you kind of want to be in the lane, yeah, and they're behind you, they're very quiet. You know, they have your they have right of way. You're just a little, <laughs> a little floating thing. vessel. Yeah. So if you don't get out of their way, which sometimes with the size of them it could take, you know, 15, 20 minutes to actually get out of their line of path if you don't time it properly. Yeah. Um, you're in big, big trouble. So it's just lots and lots of different challenges.
0: So how do you but how do you plan for something like that? Like do they know that like this is going on that day, like you're gonna be on the river or are You've they just gotta, like
1: keep your wits about you. So I wouldn't I to be honest, really it was slower but I avoided the shipping lanes I just didn't want to sometimes you can't help but being them Mm. um just didn't want to be in a position where I was you know stuck in that way um and then uh, what else really just never I never wore earphones I always just like being really acutely aware of the what's around you like I didn't have a support boat I didn't have um, anyone else on the water with me so it's very much like if anything goes wrong I'm responsible for myself like I had a radio um, and I was in touch with um, the coast guard but otherwise it was just you know me by myself and you know sometimes it would be like a horrific howling wind trying to get off the water or torrential rain and just trying to like get through it keep
0: your head down but also just trying to be super aware of everything going on around you yeah that sounds horrific I don't think I'll be doing that anytime soon I wouldn't recommend it no but maybe if you did it again it might be a lot easier if there's no (laughs) storms coming and going I guess
1: it's a good story isn't it yeah like yeah beautiful sunshine every day and I've got great tan but um yeah it was definitely they someone said to me when I got back and I really think there's truth in this if you'd have you know if it wasn't challenging 90% of the time it wasn't An adventure. It was a holiday. I'm like, yeah, "Yeah, it's true. It was a huge challenge. It was really, really
0: tested me more mentally than physically. Yeah. Um. How long did it take you? Eight days. Eight days. Wow. So that's a lot of a long time to have got off the water, thinking, well, that was horrible, and I've got to do it again tomorrow. I dreaded going out the next day because I just knew
1: what was coming, and I just knew how unpredictable it would be. And I had to be um in like New York City at the end point for a big event. That's kind of what it was all culminating in. There was lots of people there. So I didn't want to let them down, but also there's a fine line between being a badass and being a total dumbass. Yeah. And going out on the water when it's really, really dangerous. I just couldn't take that risk. And I guess I was lucky in the sense that every day that I was, like, thinking, I can't go out today, this is just too bad, there would be this, like, miraculous weather window or um someone came through that I'd never met that offered to be a support boat for a day when Mm. the weather was particularly bad so if I needed to get off quickly I could get off quickly um so just things like that just happened along the route just like lucky moments that meant I could get to that finish
0: point when I needed to get there yeah yeah that's really good Mm. wow um Scary. Well done. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> so to my final question that I ask everyone at the end of the podcast is what have you seen or read recently? Or it could be like what you're working on that leaves you feeling positive and uplifted about the future. Because I think, especially a lot when talking about like environmental issues, it can be quite easy to get quite down and feel quite negative. And also, like your job is is logging or well not logging, but you know, like tracking plastic pollution. So yeah, what have you seen recently that makes you feel positive?
1: Uh, I've seen an uh, impact report, which <laughs> makes me feel positive <laughs> because I've seen like the direct. Um, result that's had in terms of like getting brands that we really wanted to talk to talking to us Mm -hmm. that maybe wouldn't have engaged with us before. Um, I suppose more broadly I don't know if it's even like recently but just this like huge surge in information sources around the environment, not just plastic, but climate change and whatever, like more podcasts where we're having these kind of discussions and more books that are available to people, just more information out there that's really accessible um, that makes me feel like, you know this isn't a trend this mm. isn't something that people are going to stop
0: caring about soon this is here to stay yeah And um, is that a good enough answer that's that's a really good answer thank yeah, you yeah i think so so to finish up where can people find out more about you how can they get involved what can people do to help you
1: um so how they can find out more about me personally is on instagram and it's lizzie underscore outside mm-hmm. lizzie with an ie <laughs> and then um Plastic Patrol's Instagram is plastic underscore patrol.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And then, in terms of signing up for revenge, you can go on the Plastic Patrol website, which is plasticpatrol.co.uk, and literally have a look through and sign up to any of those that take your fancy.
0: um And I think that's everything. Yeah, I think so. Thank you very much for coming on. And oh, hopefully, thank you want to get back chat. to another cleanup this year. Yeah, I do come back. <laughs> Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, I'd be so grateful if you could go ahead and subscribe or leave me a review. See you next week for another episode.